Um, there, there's a whole spectrum of, uh, of, of opinions on carol singing. I can be heard um, singing Christmas carols around the house in April. So I, I'm kind of on one extreme of things. Like just about any time of the year, I, I can break out into uh, Christmas carols. Some people are not that fond of them. Um, for people that are not that fond of Christmas carols, usually the complaint is that they don't have any, any tension in them. It's all joy and peace and decking the halls and, and, uh, and there's no minor chord. There's no, there's no recognition of some of the, some of the, the reality of, the, of uh, what we see in our world around us, the conflict, the pain. Uh, the, the, the tension that is a part of our lives. I'm, I'm not sure how you feel about uh, Christmas carols, but um, whatever you feel, today's Christmas song that we will look at uh, breaks the mold. It could not be faulted for not containing some of the reality, some of the conflict and the tension uh, that is, uh, that, that is a, a part of that. Uh, in fact, far from being sentimental, it borders on being a little dangerous. Uh, it has been called by the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer the most revolutionary Advent song ever sung. In, in fact, he said this, this song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It, insta- it is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Now, I haven't been able to, to um, independently confirm this, all with, although I have tried. Um, I have read that this song has been banned by three governments over the last 100, 100 years. Uh, it, it was banned, apparently, by the British government when they were at, at periods of their rule in India, banned from being sung in churches. Uh, it was banned by the Guatemalan government in the 1980s when it began to stir up hope among the poor that change was possible. The military regime in Argentina banned its display in the late 1970s when it gave hope and a sense of solidarity to a group that called the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo who protested the state-sponsored terrorism that had killed so many of their children. This is a dangerous song. It is a revolutionary song. And it's my prayer that it would have a powerful and dramatic impact in our lives as we look at it today. But before we look at the song itself, I would like to look at a little bit of the background. Last time we saw that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and uh, announced Jesus' birth to her. And at that time, she had been told that her relative, Elizabeth, was... Although she was a senior citizen, she was uh, uh, somewhere in her mid to late 60s at the time, she was to have a baby. And in fact, it was announced that she was six months pregnant at the time. Mary gathers gathers her things when she hears this report and she goes straight to her her, uh, relative Elizabeth. Most likely, it was about a three to four day journey that she would make. And she arrives and as she is making the trip, she's, she's still a little bit overwhelmed. She's thinking about all that she's been told. She's been thinking about this miraculous pregnancy that she is now a part of. She's thinking about all of the things that the angel has told her, and she's 
feeling overwhelmed, a little confused, and she arrives at Elizabeth's home. She walks into the home and greets Elizabeth, and immediately something unusual happens. Elizabeth feels her baby. Now, that part isn't unusual. She's six months pregnant at this point, and she's used to hearing and feeling her baby kick inside of her. But this is different. This time, it doesn't feel like a little kick inside of her. It feels like her baby is jumping up and down in excitement. There is something unusual about what's happening. And as she is feeling um, her baby kick inside of her, God reveals to her that he is actually leaping for joy. There is an unusual excitement. In fact, he's pointing to the Messiah from the womb. Uh, not, Not pointing with his finger, but just pointing with his action, his excitement, his jumping around is pointing to uh, this, this child that Mary is carrying. And in fact, that will become John's life calling, pointing other people to the Savior called Jesus Christ. But this prophetic kick from an unborn child isn't the only unusual thing that happens on this day because it's followed by a prophetic shout from a pregnant senior citizen. Elizabeth Uh, we're told, is filled with the Holy Spirit probably for the first time in her life. The Holy Spirit comes upon her and she feels a sense of God's strength and power and conviction and she speaks as God uh, reveals to her what is happening. Luke says that she gives out a loud cry. And it's a word that's used to describe a shout and and she's she's not just politely greeting her, her relative she is overwhelmed. Uh, She is shouting in shrill excitement with wonder and awe. But it's not just that she's happy to see her family member. She's shouting because something unusual is taking place. She calls Mary the mother of my Lord. And that's an absolutely fascinating statement on many, many levels because at this point, Mary is probably only three, four days pregnant. And so she is referring to Mary, not not only has God revealed it to her that she's pregnant, but she calls this this unborn baby that has only been conceived in her by the Holy Spirit three or four days previously, she calls this unborn baby, my Lord, at three or four days. And now Elizabeth proclaims a blessing on Mary, and there is actually a trinity of blessings. She, she blesses her, uh, says that she is blessed among women. She says that she is, uh, has a, uh, the fruit of her womb is blessed. Her, her baby is blessed. And then she declares that she is not only blessed uh, in, in general ways, but she is blessed for a very specific reason, that she has believed that what God has said about her would come to pass. Mary, at this point, had arrived. She'd made this trip. She was just thinking about all that had been said to her. She was confused. She was overwhelmed. But now, as she sees this prophetic kick from, the, from an unborn baby, she sees this shout of, uh, uh, of exclamation, a shout of blessing upon her from her pregnant relative, Mary now feels a sense of confidence. She has had affirmation and confirmation. And it's a reminder to me that 
There's something that happens in fellowship that doesn't happen just one-on-one with God often. God can often reveal things to us through his word. He can direct us through prayer. But it's only as we come together with other believers and share what we sense God is doing in our hearts that, that God confirms that and he directs us and he can give us a sense of confidence and certainty uh, about the path that we're taking. So at this point, Mary has received that and she feels a confidence. She feels even a conviction. And with an elation now, she sings. In fact, she, she speaks, but uh, when she speaks, she speaks in poetic form that can be sung. And from the very earliest years of the church, this, has, this is a song that has been sung. It is a song that uh, speaks of uh, God's amazing power to transform our circumstances and our situations. This, uh, this song is, is known as the Magnificat, and because that is the first word in, its, uh, in the Latin translation of this, uh, uh, of this song, and it's, it's ever, always uh, forever been known as the Magnificat. I, li- I like to call it Mary's Song of Revolution, because in it she describes the revolutionary working of God, not only in her life, but as she witnesses him in, in, him in this world. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me uh, to Luke's Gospel, and I'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And although I call it Mary's song, don't worry, I won't be singing it this morning. I'm just going to read it, okay? I just, that'll be less distracting for everyone. Um, but uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now that Mary has grasped all that is happening to her, as uh, she has received this confirmation from her family members, her soul is filled with worship to God. Interestingly, she calls him God, her Lord and Savior. She recognizes that although she is a faithful woman, although she is a, a, a dedicated woman, she re- realizes that she too needs a Savior. She too needs sin. Her sin needs someone to rescue her, and she sees that in her God. But she feels a spark of a revolution because she sees in her circumstances God doing things that turn the entire way of of looking uh, at at the world and, and the normal order of things upside down. It's a spark of a revolution. What I mean by that is, 
if you look at the heart of her prayer, her amazement comes because God has looked upon someone that the world has overlooked. In verse 48, she says that God has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Mary was a nobody. She was from a nowhere town where nothing remarkable ever happened. She knew people like her got overlooked. She wasn't the type to get picked picked for the team. She wasn't the type to get singled out for a reward. And so as she saw her life and she saw God choosing to use her as a vessel of his grace, she was overwhelmed. She wasn't perfect. In verse 47, she praises God as her savior. She knows that she needs, she too needs forgiveness for her sins. But she's faithful. She's humble. And what she realizes today more than she's realized ever before is that God is gracious to the humble. That God noticed what other people overlooked. That God saw her heart. In verse 49, she praises God that he who is mighty has done great things for me. She's overwhelmed that a powerful God would do powerful things for a powerless girl. As a teenager, she was at the mercy of her elders. As a poor person, she was at the mercy of the rich. As a Jewish girl, she was at the mercy of the Romans. And so her day-to-day life consisted of constantly being reminded of her powerlessness. She saw that she couldn't do, all that she was excluded from. And by one decision of an all-powerful God, she realized the entire course of her life could be changed. She realized that she could be transformed by him. She praises God for possibilities where in the past all she saw was limitations. She saw what she couldn't do. She saw what she was excluded from. Now as she sees the possibilities that God brings to her life, it's revolutionary for how she sees her own life and how she sees her place in the world. As Mary looked across the room at Elizabeth, I think she must have smiled at how ironic the three of them must have looked. In this room, you had perhaps the three weakest, most powerless figures in the entire Roman Empire. You have a priest's wife who was too old to be considered for anything, a disgraced virgin who was too young to really have a voice or an opinion, and you have an unborn child whom many people wouldn't even look upon as a real human being. And God had chosen the three of them, the three weakest people in the Roman Empire, to bring good news, to bring salvation, to bring joy, and eventually to to transform the entire Roman world. Compare those three heroes to our heroes today. Look at the people that we lift up as heroes in our world and compare them with these three unlikely heroes. Uh, Compare them to like a, a, a... a post movie poster for the Avengers or or Justice League or something. You know, put put Mary alongside Wonder Woman or um, put put the unborn John the Baptist next to Iron Man. We celebrate pictures of strength. We we celebrate pictures of might, and God looks on those who are weak and says, "It is through them that I will show my grace." 
It is, it is through them that I will bring my salvation. It turns on its head how we usually look at the world. But again, it's just, bit, just the beginning. Mary also saw the future of a revolution. She could see how what was taking place in her life was just, that was just an example. It was an example of how God treats and responds to the, on a worldwide scale. She realized that what God had done for her reflected what he did and what he does for all people. In verse 50, she says, God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She, res- she saw that God responds in mercy to those who fear him, not in reward to those who impress him. In verse 54, she reflects on God's rescue of Israel, and she says that it is in remembrance of his mercy. Again, God relating to the world on the basis of mercy, not on the basis of reward. She sees God's compassion. God hadn't brought the Savior to Herod because he was a king. God hadn't brought the Savior to to Rome because of its power. God had brought it to a disgraced virgin. He had brought it to a powerless young girl because God has mercy on those who fear him. And he responds to humility, not to celebrity. In in verse 52, she says that God has exalted or lifted up those of humble estate. In verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things. Uh, Up until this point, Mary used to see her weaknesses with embarrassment. She used to see her poverty with shame. But now she sees her weaknesses and often pitiable circumstances, and she says, those are the things that caused me to look to God. Those are the co- things that re- made me realize I've got to depend on God. And in depending on God and humility, I've experienced his power. I've witnessed his blessing. And she realizes that this is not just some anomaly. It's not just some unusual thing. This is how God works in the world. This is his pattern of things. God responds to humility, not celebrity. She also sees in God's rejection of the king, Herod, a pattern for how God responds to the proud. She would look back on how God had responded to others in the past. In verse 51, she says, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In verse 52, she says, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. And while God has filled the hungry with good things, she adds, he has sent to He has sent the rich away empty-handed. She's reflecting on not just her own circumstances. This is God's pattern. She would look back to Pharaoh. And as he had exalted himself above God, she saw how God humbled Pharaoh. She remembers how God humbled the proud Nebuchadnezzar, the the, uh, uh, ruler in Babylon, who lifted himself up and exalted himself, and God brought him down. God humbled him. And she knew that God would do it again. Because in her day, she would see King Herod strutting around with all the robes, all the applause, all the adoration, and she says, God will bring down that pride. God will bring down what this world would lift up. And while Mary would be... uh, Remembered while Elizabeth would be remembered, while 
John the Baptist would be remembered for the part that they had played in pointing people to the Savior and announcing uh, a word of good news about salvation. She also recognized that Herod, while he would be celebrated in his day, would one day be brought down. And, and throughout history, children's, children's plays, there will always be a Herod and he will be held up as the villain for his cruelty and his abuse. God hates pride even more than we do. As we reflect on the song, we recognize that Mary's song is part of a quiet revolution. It is a, uh, a call to look at this world the way God looks at this world. A call to see in, in God's working in, in her circumstances a pattern of how God works in all of history. And the question is, are you a part of that revolution? Mary's song challenges our thinking about, uh, about our world and, and our place in it. Challenges the thinking of our world that God rewards the achievers, to, that God uh, gives hands out awards to people that have it all together. Challenges us if we have come to church basically thinking that we've got it all figured out and are just hoping to add a little bit of religious accomplishment to uh, an otherwise life that's all together. We're reminded that if that's our attitude, this, this song says we're on the wrong side of a revolution. But if you come to God admitting that you've blown it, confessing that you need rescue, confessing your humility, confessing your neediness and surrendering to God and his mercy, you'll experience the wonderful reversal of this song. Some of you experience the salvation part of that reversal. Some of you have come to God and said, I'm a sinner. I, I, I don't measure up. And I have put my faith completely in Jesus Christ for my salvation. What he did at the cross fills the lack that I have in my life. You've experienced the salvation part of that reversal, that revolution, but there's still, something got bogged down along the way and you still look at your life and your world and your circumstances uh, apart from this. Maybe your life is still spent idolizing and imitating the rich and the powerful and the people with status and longing for those things that God says in their pride he will judge. Instead, we're invited through this song to celebrate our weakness the way Mary did. We're invited to reject the pride that's applauded, but which will one day be judged by God. And we're invited to rejoice in God's grace to the humble, in God's grace to the needy, those who would come before God in brokenness and call upon his strength. Let's rejoice in God's grace to the humble and look to the Christmas child as our only hope for mercy as we look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are a God of great grace. You're a God of great mercy. We thank you that you notice the people that the world overlooks. We thank you that when we are weak, you're strong. 
when we feel powerless, you are powerful. I thank you, Father, that you have shown us this again and again in history. But we pray that you would give us the grace to believe it. I praise you that the path to receiving your forgiveness and your help and your power doesn't come through achievement, doesn't come through our accomplishments, but it comes through humbling ourselves before you and by responding to you in faith. And so by that faith, we rejoice in the blessing that only you can provide. And we praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.